Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. I greet everybody who's worshiping with us online. If we haven't met, I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here at Garfield Memorial Church. We're so glad you're tuning in. And for those who are here, um, just a couple quick things I want to say before we go to the message. First off, um, we are a very diverse church, and we celebrate that, trying to represent Revelation 7-9. But we sent David Kim out east to seminary, and he came back with a New York Yankees hat on. Um, <laughs> diversity has its limits, man. I'm, I'm praying, but... Uh, I got to work through that, but we're so proud of David, man. Uh, what, what a blessing he's going to be. Well, he already is to the kingdom. I, I do want you, you know, we're always joy and love and concern and prayers and all those things. Um, February 12th, I want you to mark your calendars. We're going to have a little reception out in our main lobby. That's going to be Justin Mackey's last Sunday with us. Um, and uh, don't, don't worry, he's going to be around northeastern Ohio. He's going to be serving even another church, which we love. Um, because we've got so many folks that come through Garfield, get a sense of this DNA, and then go out and take that elsewhere. Um, and I think that's amazing. And um, uh, we want to pray for his transition and pray for those who will be transitioning in with us. Some of you don't know Justin that well. Somebody at Christmas Eve came up to me and said, who's the new guy in the chair? Um, he was at our South Euclid campus for about a year. And, and then this fall, he had a, a tough accident and was healing up, so couldn't be with us up until... Uh, later in the winter. But for those of us who've been with Justin, he's been with us about 15, 14 years and has really helped shape the mission and ministry here. So we're, 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 we're loving that. We want to uh, pray for them in their transition. And again, um, in 2010, we uh, really declared after what we saw God do the previous seven years that we were a teaching church. Um, and we want to be that teaching church. We're not a better church in Cleveland or anywhere else. We're just different. Uh, because we're really trying to transcend those boundaries. Unfortunately, the church is still too doggone segregated in America, and we want to tear down those strongholds. Um, and we're teaching that th this coming week. My wife and I will be down in Dayton at a seminary. Don't cry yet. I haven't even started preaching. Um, I, I would cry too if I had to listen to me preach. Um, but we'll be down at a uh, seminary in Dayton, a seminary that was founded by the um, Father of the Wright Brothers, really an innovation. And they've been wanting to learn about the Garfield story. So Terry and I will be talking to doctoral students and, and other con conferences, et cetera. But Mark, February 12th, please be here. We want to send some cards. We've got thank you cards, other things we want to do. And just to make sure we have a big crowd after next Sunday, we're closing out this series. And I'm going to start a new series called Love, Sex, and Marriage. Yeah, and February 12th is a sex sermon. So you're not going to want to miss that. Okay, all right, February 12th. We're on that. Um, the other thing, just before we get started, uh, I have some people say, I don't know if heaven is real, right? I, I'm not sure I know heaven is real. Well, I now have proof because um, a little piece of heaven fell out of, uh, an angel fell out of heaven last week and landed in my life. Um, I'm now officially a grandfather. And uh, yeah, I got pictures. Oh, where's the other one? Don't put me. Where's the other? There she is. 
is the sheep. Corinne Alexandria Freed. So, um, you know, I'm preaching today on welcoming and loving our neighbors. You know, uh, this little six-pound, 14-ounce package pulled love out of me I didn't even know I had. And that's what God is telling us. There's more love to give. You know, um, I woke up this morning. I hate to wake up on Sunday mornings to more mass shootings. But woke up this morning, um, some of you know, in Monterey Bay, California, there was a mass shooting. Um, as part of the Mosaics Network, uh, it's a tribe of pastors across the country that are seeking to end segregation in the church. Um, we always come alive when some things happen. And some of our Asian pastors were in a little chat this morning. Um, 10,000 people were celebrating Chinese Lunar New Year in Monterey Bay last night. We hope this was not a hate crime. But my Asian American brothers and sisters in the, in the tribe want us all to know and to share, because sometimes it's not known, that hate crimes against Asian Americans have gone up by 600% since 2020 with all the rhetoric around COVID. So let's hope this is not that, but let's be in prayer. So I'm gonna ask you to pray with me because before we watch a little video that is underscoring that, and then I'm gonna preach. Um, would you pray with me? If you don't want to, that's okay. But just pray this prayer. Lord, teach us to love. Lord, teach us to love better. Amen. What if we could love the way Jesus did? Passionately, faithfully, powerfully. What if the way we love could make a difference in the world around us? What if that love looked at everyone the way God does? A love which doesn't see the past, but is consumed by a desire to see people come to know Jesus. A love which is patient and kind, not envious or prideful. A love which puts others before ourselves, chooses peace over anger, love which protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. Do we love like this? Do we love like Jesus? Maybe it's time to ask a simple question. How can we love better? love better. We've been in this series, Welcome, uh, the spirit of hospitality. We started this teaching series off, Pastor Scott did, with welcoming God in this new year. Um, God is already in the new year and calling us to join him. That's why I always laugh when people say, you know, ask Jesus into your life. And I'm like, no, he asked me into his life. And, and I luckily let down the barriers and, and began to follow. But welcoming God, welcoming the Holy Spirit. Now we talked about, began last week, how we welcome in this kingdom, uh, Pastor Steve talked about on Martin Luther King Jr. Sunday, the beloved kingdom. And now how do we welcome and love our neighbors? And next week, what are the practices for doing that, right? Um, welcoming and love our neighbors means we have to love better. When Jesus came into the world, he talked about loving better, right? He, he even told his own followers, he said, look, Moses gave you 10 commandments and you flunked them, so I'm going to give you one. Love people the way you've seen me love you. And it was really Jesus' radical love that got him in a lot of trouble. The religious people didn't like it. He loved all the wrong people. 
and actually hung out with them and ate with them, right? And Jesus began to teach on love, and he, and he didn't just say, oh, love the people that go to your church or love the people that are part of your political party or love the people that belong to your country. He said, look, if you love people who love you, if you're nice to people who are nice to you, if you bless people who are blessed you, he said, pagans do that. People who don't know me do that. But love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Love those who you disagree with. Now you see why he got in trouble? <laughs> and they asked Jesus, what, what does it mean to, to, be, a, to be a follower? How do, we, how do we find God? And he took Deuteronomy 6.6 6, and he combined it with Leviticus 19.18. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor. Just do that. Now, some people call that the first commandment and the second commandment, but they, they're not reading it right. Because when he said in Matthew, he said the first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it. Like it in the Greek means the second is equal. See, he was, he was conjuncting those. Is that a word? English scholars? Nobody laughed. You're laughing online. This is a tough crowd. But anyhow, you know, he said you love God, love neighbor. And, and he was in a, a church one time, you know that, a synagogue, and there was a, a preacher, a, a Bible scholar, right? And he got up to Jesus and he said, what do I have to do to find eternal life? And Jesus said, well, look, you're an expert in the Bible and the law and the Hebrew scriptures. What do you read? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor. Jesus said, great, do that. Remember what that guy said? But who's my neighbor? I don't, I don't even know who my neighbor is. This is the pressing problem in America right now, this is a pressing problem for those of us of the faith. Who is our neighbor? We, we, we have selective neighborhoods. Have you ever noticed that? Right? Birds of a feather flock together, whether it's in neighborhoods or churches or clubs. And he didn't know who his neighbor was. And Jesus told that parable. You know the parable. We call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you know the word good is never used in that parable? Like we put on there because we can't believe we can be like that. But Jesus didn't say Good Samaritan. He just told a parable expecting all of us to be that. And, he, and here it was, there was this, these religious people, right? A priest and a Levite, a lead pastor, you know, a, a, a discipleship director, connection pastor, whatever they may be. They, here's a guy that's hurting and they walk right on by. And here comes a Samaritan. Uh-oh, why is that uh-oh? Because the Samaritans were ethnic enemies of Israel. They were Israelites who had bred with, intermarried with Samaritans, and now they were biracial, multiracial people, and Israel despised them. And Jesus puts, inserts him in the story and says, here's a Samaritan, a guy you hate. And he goes and loves this man and cares for this man and expends himself for that man, stays with him all day. And then Jesus said to the guy, who was the neighbor? And the guy couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He couldn't say the S word. Do you notice what he said? The one who showed kindness, right? With all his, his issues and problems. And, and, and this is our problem. We need to know who our neighbor is. Uh, John writes to us, the, the apostles' teaching, taking Jesus' love ethic and putting it into practical language. Let's look at the way they talk. John says, whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers and do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? And he goes on then to say, those who say I love God and hate their Republican or Democratic brothers or sisters, I'd do that in. I just want to make it real. 
all right, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister who they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. And then we come to Paul, who David was talking about. Luke is writing in the book of Acts that long story in Acts 16. I had him write, read all of it because uh, you probably know that story if you've been around here. I preach on it every three years because I think it's a biblical foundation of what God has done at Garfield Church and what God is calling all of us to do. But Paul, who goes into Philippi, that story, if you remember, Paul used to be Saul. He was a Pharisee, and he was so sure he was right that he didn't just hate the people who disagreed with him, he killed them. And Jesus, you know, showed up and knocked him off his horse and taught him how to love beyond boundaries. In 2020, I, I came across a woman. I've become kind of internet friends with her. I haven't met her face to face. We've corresponded. Her name is Cheryl Cashin, and she's a, uh, a professor at Georgetown Law School, um, the head of their civil rights law. And she wrote a book on the Loving Case and the 50th year anniversary of, of the anti-miscegenation laws being destroyed in America. And in that book, her very first opening line is this. It said uh, um, that loving beyond boundaries is the most radical of all acts. And God tells Paul, I want you to go love beyond boundaries. I want you to go love the people you were hating. I want you to serve the ones that you were killing. And let's jump up to that previous slide if we could. And then at the end of Romans, this man who's learning to love beyond boundaries writes this. You've heard the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet and any other commandment. But they're all summed up in this one word. Say it. Love your neighbor. That's it. It's all summed up in that. And so I love this story as Paul goes in to Philippi. He, this is a very important moment. The book of Acts is kind of split in two at, at chapter 15 because we have the whole story of what's happening up to chapter 15. But Paul now has been called to love the Gentiles, to love beyond the boundaries. Up until that point, it had been just, you know, loving our Jewish brothers and sisters and sharing about the Messiah. But Paul now said, no, he wants to go beyond Israel. He wants to go to all peoples, even to the ends of the earth. And people got, they thought that was controversial. We're not that kind of church. We're a church for these folks, not those folks. And so in chapter 15 of Acts, they have this council at Jerusalem to decide if this is okay. And Peter comes back, and Peter says, yeah, I was kind of prejudiced. I just wanted to preach to Jewish people, but I was taken to this Roman guy's house named Cornelius, and I saw the Holy Spirit fall, and I know that God doesn't show partiality the way that we do. And so they permitted Paul now to go and go ahead, go preach the gospel to all people. And he lands in Philippi in this chapter 16. Now, Philippi, if you read Paul's letters, normally Paul is writing a letter to a church, Corinth, Thessalonica, Galatia, Ephesus, whatever. He's writing and he's critiquing something. Something's wrong in the church. But if you read the, his letter to the Philippians, he never critiques them. In fact, scholars call it his happy letter. Paul's finally happy. He's not yelling at anybody. In fact, even in Corinth, when they were a very wealthy church, but they were very stingy and they wouldn't give, he writes to them and says, look at the Philippian church, man. They're not as wealthy as you, and they're giving everything to missions. Philippians was his healthy church. And this is the story of Paul going to found this healthy church, and Luke takes his time and gives us a long story. And, and it's about loving beyond boundaries. It's about welcoming and loving our neighbors, all our neighbors. 
And Paul goes into this region of Philippi, and it, you, you probably didn't catch this when David read it, but it said that he goes into Philippi, and he just waits there for a few days. Now, what's up? Anybody in here take ministry by strengths with us? Strength finders, some of you have, you know your strengths. I have a strength called activator, which means I don't like to sit around and talk and discuss. I don't like committees. I just want to do. We're called the ready, fire, aim people. You know, bam, what I hit, right? You know, and, and I, Paul was an activator. When he would go in, if you watch him, he had a mission playbook. He would go into a town and his playbook said, go to the synagogue. He would rush into the synagogue. People are debating and arguing. He would wait his time as a visitor. Then he would get up and he said, everything you're talking about has been made known in Jesus. And if you'd like to talk more, see me after class. That was his, that was his playbook. So why does he go in Philippi and just sit? Because scholars tell us, you know what was not in Philippi? There was no synagogue. You had to have a minyan, M-I-N-Y-A-N, which was 10 Jewish elders in order to form a synagogue and have any form of liturgical service. Paul goes in to Philippi, there's no synagogue. So he has to change his playbook. Let me tell you, friends, if you're going to reach people, all people, you're going to have to get out of your routine and your religion and change your playbook. You're going to have to get beyond your boundaries. You're going to have to get over your lifetime, lifetime prejudice. And you're just going to have to get over yourself and trust in Jesus and follow him. So they tell Paul, hey, there's some people, they're meeting down by the river. I love that. What's your river? Where do you need to go? Where do you need to leave your routine and religion and get to the river? Not your river, others' rivers, because people are gathering. And he goes there, and there's a woman named Lydia. Now, I love this. Talk about a God that's a boundary-breaking God. Paul had a dream that there was a man in Macedonia in this region telling him, come to me. And Paul gets there, and it's not a man, it's a woman. Don't you love God? He will blow your hard drive. And Paul goes down, here's this woman, Lydia. Now, who's Lydia? She was a worshiper of God, which meant Gentiles who were seeking the Hebrew scriptures to understand the God of the Bible. They were searching. They were seeking. And Lydia is a very prominent person. She's extremely wealthy. She's a dealer in purple dye. In that day and age, you could excrete this dye from seashells, uh, a certain clam, and, and you could uh, dye it purple. And do you know who wore purple in that day and age? royalty right so she is a fashion designer man she lives in manhattan she's got a house in the hamptons and one in palm beach she eats at ruth chris it's who she is and she's very moral and very religious she's praying by the river daily she's going to bible study and and, and for what she needs is a rational argument and so paul sits down and has bible study with her if you read it she is a cognitive learner and Paul basically probably said something like this. What have you been learning when you read the Bible? Well, we know God called Abraham and Sarah and through them was going to bless all the people of the, of the earth. And then Moses came in and created a sacrificial system that somehow we're offering sacrifices to atone from our sins and get right with God. And Paul says, let me give you the key to all that. It's Jesus. Jesus is the blessing to all nations that was promised. Jesus is bringing all people together. And Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He's what all the sacrifices were pointing to. So when you see them sacrificing a lamb, he is the lamb of God. And he's what everything's been pointing to. <clears throat> and it says that God opened Lydia's heart to get it. See, the gospel went from her head to her heart. Now be careful with that. It didn't leave her head. See, we usually come one of two ways. We come with our head or come with our heart. God wants to connect the two. 
doesn't want you just to be a thinking boron. I just made that up. It was a combination between boredom and moron. Okay, I know, it's, it's a small world, but you wouldn't want to paint it. Um, anyhow, but, or you just don't want to be this heart, you've got to have that connection, that balance. And Lydia gets it, man. She gets it. And then, and then we leave Lydia, the wealthy CEO. I call that the gospel for the religious and the searching, right? And now we see the gospel going to the oppressed. The next moment, he goes to this little slave girl, right? The slave girl, uh, she would have been Greek. Lydia was Asian, by the way. Thyatira was an area of Asian minor. The little slave girl was Greek. All scholars said they were, they, she had the spirit of a python. It says div divination. But these were young Greeks who were basically, like in today's day and age, sex traffic teenagers who were swooped up to represent the, from the Greek poor to represent this oracle of Delphi. And they would go around with these prophecies or whatever. And, and she's, she doesn't eat it, Ruth Chris. This is a sex traffic teenager. It's down at West 65th in Lorraine hoping their pimp comes by with a Big Mac. And she, she can't go to a Bible study. She doesn't want a cognitive argument. She needs a power encounter. And Paul goes to her with the power of the gospel and says to that bad master on the inside and the bad masters on the outside, let my children go. And she's freed. She's free. Now, here's for all the people that want to go, well, you know, the church shouldn't be involved in social justice. That's too political. Well, go read this passage. This young child was not just oppressed spiritually, she was oppressed economically, she was oppressed um, socially. And Paul didn't just deal with her, as, you know, she didn't just have a personal individual encounter, he dealt with the things that were keeping her enslaved. And he broke the power of them. And so should the Christian church. We should not be just worried about, you know, people's personal salvation, of course we're worried about that, but worry about the, the, the conditions that are hurting people. I was at a conference once and they said the problem with churches is we, we've see, we sit on the shoreline by the rapids and we see here comes somebody who's drowning and we jump in the river and we save that person and pull them ashore. But before we know it, here's another person who's drowning and we jump in and we pull that person ashore. And before we know it, here comes another person down the rapids that's drowning and we pull them to shore. But at some point, the Christian church needs to go upstream and find out what is it that is throwing people into the river. Jesus said, I will build my church and it will tear down the gates of hell. Racism has to go away. Social oppression has to go away. Poverty has to go away. Domestic abuse has to go away. Sex trafficking has to go away. It's got to go away because the people of God are not simply on the defense. Gee, I wonder if we can pay our bills. But are out there on the offense. That's what Paul did. He was annoyed by it, it says. He was hurt by what this child was going through and he set her free. So now then we come to the third person. So we have the gospel for the seeking, the gospel for the oppressed, and now we have the gospel for, I love this, the disinterested. This is the Roman jailer. He's a Roman. Now notice all ethnic differences. Asian, a Greek, now a Roman. Finally a man. Even men can be saved. O only one in the story, only one. But you come to this Roman jailer, what happened? They stirred up a race riot in the streets. They said, these Jews, because there weren't many in Philippi, they're messing people up. They took him to the magistrates. They had him flogged. So it was Paul and Silas who had been bloody and beaten. They take him to the jailer and said, hey, take care of him. Now later he'll bind their wounds, as you saw. But when they bring him to him, he tortures them. He puts them in, uh, in stocks. 
Now, when I first read that story, I was young. I thought it was like Frontierland at Disney World. You ever seen that? The stocks, like Williamsburg, right? Those weren't the stocks in that day and age. They were torture tools. They would put one leg this direction and one leg that direction. They would spread you out. You would atrophy, and it was painful. And see, this, this jailer, Lydia's searching. The little slave girl shouting at them. They're kind of searching. This guy's not searching. He doesn't go to Paul and Silas. They have to come to him. He's disinterested. He doesn't go to Ruth Chris. He's not at West 65th and uh, Lorraine. He, uh, he's, he's a postal worker over in Parma. And every time he knocks off of work, he goes to the little VFW and has a couple beers at the end of the day. That's who he is. He's just not interested. He's not going to come here to me preach. He's not going to go to a Bible study. He's from Missouri. <laughs> if you're going to get my attention, show me. That's called concrete relational. Lydia, cognitive, the little slave girl, intuitive experience. He's concrete relational. I don't believe in God. There's no reason to look at this. But he sees two things he's never seen before. He tortures Paul and Silas. He had heard people say, yeah, well, if you believe in the Bible, that means, oh, believe in God, and he's going to give you a great life, and he's going to answer your prayers and pay all your bills and, you know, give you a perfect relationship. And, and he, he thinks that's hogwash. But he sees these guys who love God, and they're not getting anything they want. They're being tortured. So this isn't follow God and he'll heal you and bring you joy. No, follow God and get you thrown in prison. Ask Dr. King, <laughs> right? And, and they're, he's being, they're being tortured, so their happiness has gone away, and their, 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 their health is going away. And at midnight, they're praising God. In spite of that, they're singing hymns and saying prayers, and everybody's watching them. And the jailer's like, had to be like, what is this? I've never seen anything like this. And then the earthquake comes, you know, and the, the doors fly open, the shackles fall off, and, and the jailer wakes up and he looks and he sees that the, that the doors of the jail are open and, and he, he takes out his sword to kill himself. Why? Because under Roman law, if you were a jailer, if you were a guard and your prisoners fled or you're a jailer and the prisoners got free, that was a capital offense. So he's like, instead of being publicly executed and take my family through that, I'm just going to kill myself. And Paul says, wait a minute, we're all here. See, Paul and Silas didn't just stay. They made sure everybody else stayed. Because they were that concerned with this individual's life. And this jailer had to say to them, what is going on here? I had your life in my hands and I tortured you. You had my life in your hands and you stayed in prison for me. He said, I don't have anything in my life that concrete. And they said, let us tell you about Jesus. And, 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 he was, and he and his whole household were saved. Now, do you understand what this boundary-breaking God is doing as he's starting this new movement called his church? Who's the church for? It's for everybody. And I want to say to you that the gospel is the power for all. Somebody say all. I've told you before, you know what all means in the Greek? It means all, right? It's for all. And, and it's a power for all. Some people say, well, I'm not the religious type. There's no religious types. That's what this says. There's, there's, no, there's no boundary that we don't transcend. Right? That we, you know, and this is, this is the thing. That Christianity, that's what I've told you for 19 years, those of you who bore with me that long, that Christianity is not a religion. The world had enough religions. Jesus wouldn't come to start another one. Religion was do this, 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 and then, you know, teachers said, follow my teachings, and then you'll find God. Jesus didn't say, follow my teachings, you'll find God. He said, I'm God, come to find you. 
And that's why Christianity, that's why the gospel is not hostage to any country or part, political party or ethnic group or culture. Study the religions. I'm not, I'm not trying to dismiss them. I, I've learned a lot from brothers and sisters in other faiths. But if you look at every world religion, it's centered somewhere. Judaism is still centered where? Jerusalem. And even in the diaspora, as Jews go from around the world, they're, they're praying, facing toward Jerusalem. Islam is centered where? The Middle East and Arabia. Confucianism is centered where? In China. Buddhism is centered where? In Asia. Where's Christianity centered? It started in Jerusalem. Then it shifted. And it went to the Hellenistic Greek world for a while. And then it shifted. Then it went to North Europe. That's why we have the Vatican, right? And they thought it stayed there, but it shifted. And it went over to North America. Now we became the Christian nation. Hey, have you looked in the last 70 years? It shifted. And now it's over in Africa and below the Southern Hemisphere in South America and Asia. Do you know there are places in Korea and in Africa where Christianity is growing 10 times the rate of the population? And today there are three times as many Christians in the southern hemisphere, in South America, Africa, and Asia, than there are in Europe and America and North America combined. See, because it's not, it's, not it's not a religion to be centered in a culture or a place. It's a power for all. And we screw this up in the church, and I'm sure I've screwed it up, because if you read this, what happens to Paul here, it's saying that the gospel is the greatest power to bring all people together. I'm going to shout that so they'll, they'll hear me in the back. The gospel is the greatest power to bring all people together. There it is. See, if you just, they also said as a preacher, just shout if you don't know, right? Just get louder. No, but this is what it is. It's, it's a power to bring all people together. Now, that's why it breaks my heart to see how the gospel is being preached in our country sometimes. Because it's being preached from particular political persuasions or you got people, you know, rioting at the Capitol carrying signs, Jesus saves. We do a terrible job of this, but I'm telling you, remember Acts 16. Remember the church at its beginning. It was the power to bring all people together. Let me ask you a question. Where do people who eat at Ruth Tris and people who are sex trafficked at West 65th and Lorraine and guys who drink at the VFW in Parma, where do they get together? Right? Some of you are acting like, oh, my house, liar. Come on. No, but seriously. But they got together at Lydia's house. They're together. And, pa and Paul, here's something you've probably heard me say before. But Paul, <clears throat> swallow before you start preaching, Freed. Um, but Paul, who was a former Pharisee, every single day of his life as a Pharisee, you know what he would have got up and said his morning prayer? His morning prayer as a Pharisee, it's well documented, would be to get up in the morning and say, I thank you, O God, that you did not make me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. And here this guy goes into Philippi and founds his healthiest church, Luke says, with a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. God will blow your computer if you will follow him and learn how to love and welcome your neighbors, all your neighbors. Because guess what? 
You're not doing anything special. You're simply joining Jesus in what he's already doing in the world. I get so tired when people say to me, well, we gotta tear down the walls. Let me read, uh, read the Bible, read Ephesians where it says he has torn down the dividing wall that is between us. There is neither male nor female. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither Republican nor Democrat. There is neither liberal nor conservative. There is neither, you know, take it all the way you wanna go. Jesus already tore down the walls. The, the curtain of the temple fell. We just need to live into it. We need to walk in that kind of freedom that the former Pharisee Saul found when he found Jesus. And people he was taught his whole life to despise are now his brothers and sisters. Can you imagine that group sitting around Lydia's dining room table? Jews weren't even allowed in a Gentile's house. And there they are starting Jesus' church. That's our call. And let me close with this. I got four minutes. When we make room for others, all others, we make room for God. I learned this in my very first church. I've only had the privilege to serve two churches. Asbury Church in Lorain County and Garfield Memorial Church here in Cuyahoga County. Asbury Church, where I was sent, was the oldest historical black church in Lorain County. They were down to 32 people. They were thinking of closing the church, and they got me. And uh, five years later, we were 400 in worship. We had a 501c3 ministering to 300 kids in poverty uh, daily. And, uh, and we saw, you know, we, we were still a church with historical black church propensities, but 35% of the church wasn't African-American anymore. Started to live out Revelation 7-9, and people were coming in. And uh, if you've been around here a while, you probably heard me tell this story. It's foundational for me. But there was a young white family that came into that church, very poor. Um, they were young. Um, I was young at the time, and they were younger than me in their 20s. The, the wife had agoraphobia. She couldn't leave her apartment. She would get the shakes. Uh, she came into our church, and she was healed of that. Her husband was addicted to crack, and we got him in treatment, and, and he was liberated from crack cocaine. They had beautiful little kids, and... One day she came to me and she said, I wonder if my mom could come to this church. I said, of course your mom could come to this church. Why do you ask the question? She said, well, she's a stripper downtown at Bugsy's. And I said, well, we got four or five of those. Tell her to come on in. I mean, Lord, we did. We had everything in that church. We had a working prostitute came into that church. I'll never forget. My treasurer was, when I first got there, he was like, we can't do anything. We can't pay for anything. He was talking. And I was like, get out of the way. We're going to reach people for Christ. And people started coming and all this stuff. He came up to me one day and he told me this, this woman, I knew she was a prostitute, but she was, she was improving. But she would go back to the, after the offering was passed and she'd go back to our treasurer and go, hey, I put $20 in today. Can I get $10 change? And she did that for six weeks and he kept giving her $10. And then finally, week seven, he said, come on now, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. He came and told me that. I said, I am so proud of you. Look at you growing up in Jesus. It took you, you paid her back six weeks. God is so impressed. So I told her, of course your mom could come. And her mom came and, man, could you tell rough living stuff? And, and I was preaching that morning. I'll never forget on Romans 8, there's nothing you can do to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, your Lord. And at the end of the service, here she came. She came up to the altar to accept Christ. We prayed over her. She went back home. Some of you have heard the story. She went back to her apartment. She had a live-in boyfriend. And uh, that Monday, she threw him out and said, uh, I've accepted Jesus. I don't want you here anymore. And he beat her to within an inch of her life. She got a hold of his gun. 
chased him out of the apartment. The SWAT team came, surrounded that apartment. She was asking for me, I learned later. That's before we had wireless phones. And when the SWAT team breached the apartment, she killed herself. And her daughter said to me, I, I know she committed suicide. I probably can't have a funeral. I said, hey, your Lord Jesus was at that altar when your mom came to the altar and he was in that room when your mom took her life. Of course, we'll have a funeral. So I called um, some people of the church and I said, hey, I don't want an Eleanor Rigby funeral here. Can you guys come up? And so we had 30 folks come up, mostly African-American, old church moms. You know those old church moms with servants around and dress in white and the whole deal. And, and we were there and I thought, oh, this is going to be nice. And then um, have you ever heard what 300 motorcycles sound like? You ever heard that sound? I've never been to Sturgis. I just have seen it on TV. Um, I was in the parking lot and I heard all these motorcycles. And all of a sudden they all came into our parking lot. They were, you know, it, when we prohibit people from coming to church, they'll find church somewhere. And these bikers all found church at Bugsy's. And all of a sudden I got 300 bikers at this funeral. I mean, they're coming in with Confederate flag berets and one guy had swastikas on and, you know, and, uh, and they looked like a CZ Top conference, man. You know, long gray beards and they come in, obviously don't, and I'm like, what in the world? And I just, I threw my sermon away and I preached the same sermon in Romans 8, there's nothing you can do to separate yourself from God. And afterwards, you know, they're down in the basement and they're mad and they're coming up to me, what kind of church is this? And here these old church mothers are serving them f food and tending them like they're their kids. And, and then Randy came in my office. Randy had a KKK tattoo, big one, on his arm. You know what the heck kind of church is this? He didn't say heck, I'm trying to keep my job. Um, but I told him, I said, Randy, this church, ain't you introduced to this church of Jesus Christ? He said, these people here at this church are nicer to me than my own family. He said, these are people I were taught to hate. How do you get part of this church? I said, you can come out Sunday at 11. I'd love to see you. He came. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, people, young and old, they, they just greeted Randy like he was part of the family. They didn't make a big deal, but hey, how you doing? I mean, big KKK tattoo. Randy started coming to our church. He didn't come all the time. He didn't get fixed. You, you say you could be saved all at once. Change takes a little while, right? But he was growing. He was coming. And, uh, and I'll never forget the day that the, the person who was in charge of our hospitality at Asbury, she walked in my office. She said, Randy, would like to join the hospitality team. <laughs> I said, well, what does he want to do? He'd like to be a greeter. I'm like, whoa, man, you know, I mean, hey, you know, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> oldest historical black church in Lorain County, KKK guy greeting at the door. I mean, only in Jesus' world does it make sense, but I might freak some people out. So I would say, and you know what she said to me? She said, Pastor, it's what you preach about. I hate it when people do that. I literally hate it. Some of you do that to me. Come on, Chip. You know. And I said, okay. Uh, I said, how about we make him a winner greeter? That was my solution. Let's make him a winner greeter. Because, you know, then he'd have to wear a coat outside, right in front of the door. She said, Pastor. So Randy starts greeting. True story. I drove up to church um, in July. He'd only been greeting for a few weeks. Randy's 